Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, good. I was just on the other line with a nice uh, British lady uh, testing my Skype. How, how is she? How is she today? She's the same as always. She she never changes, Ben. She never. She, she never. Uh, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. This, I think you're thinking of the song remains the same. I I think I'm. You might be thinking of uh, Keith Moon. <laughs> Not see to be what, taken away. See what I did? See what I did there? Like, yes. I, I, it was like I, I went, like, like a good chess player, I went two <laughs> two steps ahead of you. Not just one, but two. But not, two. This, not, this, is what, this is why I'm not good at chess, Ben. I went John Bonham to Keith Moon. Nice. Yeah, I did. I did that. Um, hey, uh, you know what's, you know what's kind of weird? You know what's it's a little weird right now? You're recording from home? Yeah, well, that, that that's weird. But I, I hear I hear you. It's just not loud enough for me yet. I don't know why. Huh? Could you turn the volume up? I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna see if I can turn it up to eleven here. Okay. And see what uh, see what happens there. If I can just uh, if I could just turn it up to eleven. And uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, there we go. It's up to eleven. Much All right. Well, I thought it might be because I'm uh, actually coming to you via Wi-Fi instead of a hardwired connection. What are you, um, are you sitting close to your router? Um, I am, I'm not that close to my router, um, because I've moved my office, uh, my home office, uh, one door down <laughs> to a different, and to a further so, away from the router, f- further away from the router. And, um, in the old office, it was on a hardwired connection and now it is on a, a wireless connection. Um, and I just hope everything goes okay. It, it sounds, it sounded good. I'm, I'm going to tell good. you, it sounds good to me. I'm I'm so glad. Um, did I did I get louder there? No. Good. Okay. I turned I turned you up. Hmm. Wait, that's almost. I think I think I'm thinking of um, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Okay. It's, there's a song. I don't know. I'm I'm not even. I'm not. Well, let's not even play that game anymore. Because now now I'm just playing it with. I'm just playing by myself. Just playing it with myself, Don. Um, uh-huh. That's where that's where this is devolved to. Um, hey, so this is a special, a very special uh, Martin Luther King Day uh, version of the podcast. It is. We've. Uh, I'm not sure if we've ever recorded on Martin Luther King Day before. I don't know if we have. Yeah, it's a very good. It's a very good point. It likely. It's also most of our episodes are probably on specific days that we haven't recorded on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like to point that out. Um, as right. well, but even after uh, we record 365 episodes, chances are that there will still be some days as yet un unpodcasted upon. Right, and some doubles. Yes, the, like du- the, like a double double, like a double double. Like this is the, I, the like a from Tim Hortons. From Tim Hortons. Oh, I love Tim Hortons. Um, I, uh, although I'm drinking Nespresso, as I, I just texted you because mm-hmm. I'm in my my home environment where there's a Nespresso machine very close by. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, I debated whether I was going to make a uh, coffee in my Aeropress, and I wimped out and I went with a Starbucks Via because it was quick and easy and. Uh, you know, uh, that's just what you got to do sometimes. I'm also debating whether it's too late in the day for a coffee, but I guess we'll find out tonight when I try to go to sleep. Yeah, it's it, it's it's the perfect time when you drink it. It's always the right time. Then it's always the right time. It's uh, it's the post drink. I, I like I like a nice afternoon coffee. I like it, it's a it's a com- I know you you um practice the um, uh, the activity of a post lunch coffee 
or at least I've I've been with you a couple of times where where we've decided to have a post lunch coffee. It is pretty much a requirement. What depend depending upon the lunch, right, and, right, and and what's facing me that afternoon, and and just like a, um, it, but it's a it, it's a daily daily feature of your of your activities, right? Like that's that's a thing. Yeah, more more often than not. I like I like that. I I don't know if I I mean I don't really do it all that often. Um, but I do every time I am drinking myself a nice afternoon coffee, I think, Oh, what a, this is a perfect wake up. Um, I, so let me tell you about my MLK day so far. Mm, um, please do. I woke, I woke up this morning, gloriously late, gloriously mm. late. Um, I, we, we've not often talked about dreams on this, on this podcast. This that's a different, very different podcast. Yes. Um, but I'm going to tell you a dream cause it, it is IAFP, IAFP related. Nice. So, um, for some context, um, uh, many individuals in the food safety world who like to present things at the, uh, IAFP annual conference are likely in real time right now, um, either writing or editing abstracts because they're due tomorrow, January 19th, um, at some time during the day. And I had uh, abstracts on my mind last night, I guess, um, or this morning. I woke up this morning at uh, about 8.30 a.m. in like a panic because I had, um, in my dream, uh, totally missed not one, but two IAFP talks that I was to give. And Whoa. yeah. Slacker. Oh, oh yeah. And and I had missed them mainly because I I just wasn't like I, I knew when they were supposed to be, but I didn't plan well. For whatever reason, I happened to be living in the same town that IAFP was going on in my mind. We weren't hosting huh? it in Raleigh. Okay. Be but it was another town. It was another town. Where, where you don't live. Correct. But it just happened to be the same town where IAFP is located. Yes. Which had a, a commuter train. That's how I know it wasn't Raleigh. Hmm. A train. Was it Was it Portland? It might have been. No, it was like, it wasn't like a, it was like a train train, like an a, an Amtrak. Okay, got it. Yep. So I had to take from where I lived this train to the IAFP venue every day. And this was day two of the conference. Mm -hmm. And I had budgeted poorly from getting from my home in the burbs to the IAFP venue and was going to miss my talk by over an hour. My two talks, which were like randomly back to back to each other. Wow. Um, but here's the, the uh, silver lining to my story. Mm -hmm. Well, there's two. There's two silver linings. Number one, it was fictitious. And I woke up, although like in a panic, realizing that it was 830 in the morning in January. Um, the other silver lining is that I had thought that I was missing my talk, but I was really misscheduling myself even in my dream. Because I had thought that I needed to get there for 5.30 on a Monday when really my talk was 5.30 on a Tuesday. Whoa. Weird, right? That is that is pretty weird. It's a weird – I don't know what it means. I think it means I'm late all the time. I think I think that's I think there's a there's a some if we could do some analyzing. I think it means I think too much about food safety because I dream about it and I'm late a lot. 
Yeah, you know, and you know, and I've been thinking so. So a couple things. Um, so I've been thinking about dreams recently um, because I I heard a, an awesome episode of one of my new favorite podcasts. Um, uh, it's the podcast which I think we've talked about before uh, called Reconcilable Differences, and this is a podcast uh, with uh, John Syracuse and Merlin Mann. Yes. And uh, episode sixteen, entitled "Ancient Bird," um, is one where Merlin talks about the no that he takes about his dreams, um, which is, and then, and then to hear number one, they're amazing. And number two, John's reaction to it is also amazing. So we, we will link to that in show notes. But, um, so I've been thinking about, um, my own, my own dreams occasionally upon waking up and, and trying to, you know, Merlin-esque style, write them down. I haven't, haven't progressed to that. I just only thought about that. But when I woke up this morning, my first thought was, Oh my God, I need to get up. It's Monday. Ah. I need to get to work. And then I thought to myself, hey, wait, it's still the holiday. And then my third thought was, and I have IAFP abstracts to do. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, you've got tenure. You never have to get up if you don't want to. And so, and then I just got all confused about whether I was feeling guilty or whether I was actually getting up or whether I was okay to not get up because it was like a holiday. And, and, and then eventually I just got up because I needed to take the dog for a walk because, because he doesn't know, because he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know, know what it's MLK day. Did he knew that he didn't know that it was time to, uh, just sleep in a little bit. Like no one else would be, uh, would be out there. No one's going to rush to work. So we don't need, you don't need to go to the, to the restroom outside the dog. I don't know. I assume that's what your dog does. What's that? <laughs> go to the restroom outside. Is that yeah. even the right term? Go to the bathroom. I mean, I think poop is poop. the poop and pee is what we use. That's good in my house, but it's a much better thing. Um, did I, <laughs> I, I have I told you that? Um, and this is like super top secret, but I don't think I've mentioned that we're getting a dog. Oh no. Okay, so so I can tell you this because. It, you Your kids don't listen? <laughs> yeah, my kids don't listen to the podcast. Also, by the time we get the dog, the podcast will be posted. <laughs> by, the time, <laughs> by the time we post the podcast, the dog will probably be dead from old age. It's possible. It's possible. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, so I have that's, to talk. That's the other thing I was feeling guilty about today, Good. not getting the podcast that's, posted. So I yeah. understand that guilt sometimes yeah. because I also feel guilty about it um, when we when we don't get it up uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so here's the... Here's the deal with my uh, with with the dog that we're getting that you're not allowed to talk about. That hopefully my kids aren't listening at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, it has we 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 are getting a um, a basset hound. Oh mm-hmm. yes, and from from you know we we have, have historically been a a family that um, that really you know gives uh, rescue dogs a good home. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we for we we've just sort of had our, our like mindset on a on a basset hound and a puppy because because we want our kids to experience a puppy at some point, mm-hmm. um, and we've been sort of looking and in, in the in the last year or so in the shelters we haven't really been able to find one that we you know this is like without our kids kind of knowing um, mm-hmm. you know find anything so we decided that we would go to a breeder and get a, a basset hound mm-hmm. uh, puppy um, and he he has been born and we are going to uh, pick him up. Uh, in uh in eight weeks um and uh we saw some pictures of him of him yesterday and and the children don't know um but we've been doing like things like uh 
you know, making them do their chores because if there's a, you know, if we were ever to get a dog, you know, we don't want to make sure that, that their clothes are up off the ground so the dog doesn't chew them. Or, mm. um, so we've been like trying to prime them up without really telling them. Or I've been, um, most nights taking the boys on walks, uh, around the neighborhood just, mm-hmm. just in case we got, you know, I got a dog. I just want to make sure this is how I pitched to them. want to make sure that, that we all know that you can walk the dog. So, mm-hmm. we, so we do this, um, kind of thing. Um, but so, so that, that we've already, um, selected a name, a family name for the, for the dog, uh, the, uh, the hypothetical future dog. Correct. Correct. Uh, the hypothetical future dog, uh, has a name of Stanley, uh, named after the Stanley cup, uh, which you would know from the sports ball, uh, teams that I, that I like the ones with the pucks. Uh, that's what, uh, what you win in the, in the hockey world. I'm, I'm pretty sure Stanley is a comic book reference, but go on. Yeah. Okay. That's fine too. Um, and yeah, so we, so we have, so we saw some pictures of this, of this dog, uh, little, little Stanley, uh, who we'll get in, in like a couple of months and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for, to jump back in the dog world. Cause I've, uh, not had a dog for, uh, almost six years. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. And that's a, that's an awesome name. So well done in the name department. Brett Michaels was taken. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> You can you can you can call him that if you want. In fact, I may just have to call him that anyway, just to be contrary. That's a um, for those of you who don't know. That's a Facebook reference, Brett Michaels. Because no, it's it's in reference to to Don's dog, which used to be named Brett Michaels, and then was named Axel Rose, and then is now named Gibbs. Gibbs, who, who poops outside, poops outside, not in a restroom, not in the restroom, just poops outside on the on the corner. Yep, Not, and most and pretty much always pees outside too. He's very he's very well behaved in that in that uh, in that department. He's got other annoying habits like barking at people, but uh, but yeah, overall uh, a pretty pretty well behaved dog. You take the good with the bad, right? Yeah, you do what you can. You do what you can. And dogs, I'm, I, I like I like a good dog. <laughs> I like I like a I like a good hot dog too. It's a different uh-huh. that's a different story. Different kind of dog. It's a different yeah. It's a different kind of dog. Um, yeah, so we got, so we got the, the dog stuff on, on the, on, you know, on the horizon. Oh, that's nice. It is. It's going to be really nice. Um, and I've never had a puppy myself, Mm. so that will also, I think, be challenging. Yeah, we, um, uh, we, Kristen is, you know, volunteering with the, the SPCA and still sees, you know, dogs on a regular basis. And actually she found a very cute older Basset, um, and we've been thinking about getting Gibbs a brother or sister, but, um. So far, nothing, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But she keeps talking about it. So, if do you think that if it was a sister that you would name that dog like Bridget Nielsen, or some other some other eighties reference? Could it be? Grace, no, could probably it be not. Grace Jones could be could be Grace Jones. Grace Jones would be a good would be a good one. Um, or Gibson. Abby, see, because then that be NCIS yeah. reference. There you go, Gibbs and Abby. There you, oh, you got it. Um, hey, so so guess guess what I did this week? Mm, got food poisoning? I did not get food poisoning that I know of. Not yet. I've been everything's been going really well in my uh, gastrointestinal world. Glad to hear it. That's uh, it's not true of everybody out there in the podcast world, but oh, that's oh. What we call it in the business. We call it teaser. Oh, we'll come we'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. Um, so I had a beer with one of our listeners, Tom. Oh Sanders. yes, I saw about that on Twitter. It was awesome. It was really cool. So, nice. so Tom, shout out to Tom. Um, he's uh, an um, FDA investigator. I think that's the correct term. 
uh, and is uh, in the Boston area and has been listening to us, I think, really right from the start. One of our earlier um, commenters, uh, and we, 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 he sends us quite a bit of stuff and interacts a lot with us on social media. Uh, and Tom was here in Raleigh for a uh, training uh, FDA course that uh, NC State uh, food science folks were putting on. And um, reached out and said, "Hey, would you like to? I'd like to take you up on that free beer offer that you <laughs> that you mentioned because I didn't see you at IAFP, and so uh, so we went out for a beer, and it was it was great. We got to catch up, talk about food safety stuff, talk about family stuff, uh, and it was it was really nice, really nice time. I enjoyed it. That's nice, and and we'll we'll link to uh, Tom on uh, Twitter. He has the awesome Twitter handle Bagels. <laughs> yes, and the the also the Twitter his Twitter handle of uh, Tom Jones. Uh, right. Little known fact, uh, he Tom is uh, not not Welsh. The Tom the Tom that we know. Right. It's not unusual though. <laughs> not unusual at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So shout out to Tom. Really, really great time. This and I, what what it made me think about was you know we have this this thing that you and I do the, this life that we've chosen mm-hmm. um, the the podcasting world um, we're we're really fortunate because we sometimes get to talk to people that listen to us and we don't you know you and I have this great dialogue or at least I think it's a great dialogue back and forth people are on the other side sort of dropping in and listening to our conversation um and the folks that listen without um a hesitation or without any um any exception to the rule everyone that we've uh, interacted with very pleasant people so I like to uh extend as we always do if people are going to be around in in my area I'll, i don't want to speak on your behalf don but if they're going to be, if you're going to be in the raleigh area um or we happen to be at a meeting or a conference together let's you know let, hang out um because it's always cool to, to talk to listeners yeah and if you're ever in new jersey uh I really don't care because uh, we're rude, obnoxious uh, jerks here. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, seriously, uh, please do uh, yeah, let me know. Yeah. And if I'm here and I feel like it, uh, maybe maybe I'll buy you a drink or maybe not. Maybe a tea, <laughs> maybe a beer. Who knows? Maybe a tea, maybe a beer. Yeah, um, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Uh, cool. So, so who's who in the in the world of the in the podcast world uh, has a little foodborne illness? Well, I, it's you know it was sent in a in a, a, a text message to me, so I think we need to anonymize yeah, this okay. person. That sounds good. Let's let's call him um, Bandenjamin. Bandenjamin. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and so he texted me, uh, I'm sitting there trying to work on work and he's texting me, but you know, he's, he's a delight. So, uh, he's, he asked me the question, how can I tell the difference between rotavirus and norovirus at home? Oh, well, and this is, clearly the answer is one is a single strand RNA <laughs> virus, Don. Yes. I, you know, I thought about texting him that, but uh, <laughs> I said my answer was a little bit different. I said uh, it's difficult to differentiate. And you talked about, you know, kids more likely to get rotavirus. Uh, adults, um, you know, can, could, could, you know, probably have rotavirus immunity. Um, norovirus is going to affect all ages. Um, but then, you know, certain people may may have an innate immunity to norovirus. Um, and he said, well, we had this lovely thing here at home. I'm trying to figure out if I'm still contagious or not so that uh, he doesn't infect anybody at work. 
And, and my answer, you know, my response to that was, well, if you're actively vomiting or you have active diarrhea, um, you know, you probably shouldn't hang out around them. But if you don't have those things, then, you know, hand washing and just, you know, good, good uh, hygiene on everybody's part should, um, you know, should, should, should manage the risk. So, yeah. So then he proceeded to tell me about exactly who was sick in his house and when and, you know, uh, you know, who, who, yeah, the, the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, so anyway, just, uh, yeah, just anyway, so little, little bit of, little bit of sharing there on, on the part of Mr. Uh, Denjamin. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, and then he, he says, so, uh, I would like for you to conduct a study to determine exactly what we had. And I said, sure. <laughs> Um, and equals one. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so and then he gives, goes on to give me more detail. Um, uh, he says, uh, I had, then the next day I had what the, uh, so uh, my, my son threw up. He said the next day I had what the medical community would term the uh, bad poops, except he didn't say poops. He said a bad word, which we don't say on this podcast because we're family friendly. The bad going uh, to the restrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and then he says his uh, wife had the same thing, the bad poops and discomfort. Um, what I had was more like chills and discomfort. And I would call uh, frequent bowel movements, although none of them were disturbing in nature. As from this, please determine exactly what we had. And I said, no problem. I'm on it. None were disturbing is my yes. favorite part yes. of that. Um, frequent, but not disturbing. What? 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 I think you may need to reach out to him and ask what would be the criteria <laughs> disturbing yeah how would we know what like what does he mean by that uh, that uh, they weren't what would be disturbing well i think uh i think uh more more frequent and more explosive i think okay. is probably what he was thinking of but I, can i can i tell you about a disturbing event i had once <laughs> sure was this when you had um campylobacter it you was not a sample okay no no no, no. i i had i mean they there was some disturbing events there, but but the most disturbing event that I ever had was um, I was I was really sick when I was in grad school for like a week and could not keep anything down, and um, I had um, I had an event that looked like shredded lettuce. Oof! Except I had not eaten anything <laughs> any shredded lettuce shredded that resembled Ooh. or was Oof. yeah it was it was incredible and. And it was not the first time that I had, uh, had heard about a shredded le- lettuce diarrheal event mm-hmm. because I had another friend who had told me years before that he had also had a shredded lettuce event. And I was like, you're, you're crazy. That's never – I don't know what, you're mean, what you mean. And then mm-hmm. I had one. I was like, oh, oh, okay. I see exactly what you're, talk- what you're talking about. Hmm. That was disturbing. Mm. Um, and this is uh, Poop Safety Talk. Uh, mm-hmm. welcome, to the, welcome, welcome to the circus. Um. Well, that's that's too bad about uh, Ben Ben Benjamin. Well, it sounds like it, he sort of made it through okay, although it hit uh, two of his family members kind of hard and didn't didn't affect the the other one. Um, but you know, I, I think he's. And then again, he we sort of um, uh, what he said is uh, he says, well, either way, you're saying I'm quote probably not too contagious at this point. Um, and I said, uh, well said, uh, quote probably not too contagious. End quote is perfect description of uh, your situation. So I think uh, I think he was he he went away a satisfied customer. Oh, good. Um, hey, so uh, so I've got I got some stuff that uh, that relates to that that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, also deadline uh, related uh, mm-hmm. on uh, Friday this this past week, uh, Friday January fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, the deadline passed at nine o'clock PM to submit 
issues to the Conference for Food Protection. This is true. And I submitted three. Hmm. Good for you. I submitted. Yeah. It was. Uh, so. So I'm. I'm jumping all in uh, to the to this world, and I. I you know. I'm not letting the. Uh, um, the cat out of the hat, uh, as they say uh, incorrectly uh, in in the world of cliches, uh, because by the time we post this, we'll have already everything will have voted on this, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think it matters anyway. But but I but I um, I've, I've shared in the past that I chaired a committee. Um, and so there, you know, I had to submit a, an issue to accept our committee report, blah, blah, blah. That one was kind of boring, mm-hmm. but I, uh, with, with, uh, our good friend, Leanne Jacobs, uh, she and I submitted a, um, uh, an issue to, uh, clarify and expand upon the part of the food code that has to do with cleaning up vomiting and diarrheal events. Mm. Um, and so we, we put together, uh, some text. I'll, I'll give you a little, some highlights. So right now it says, um, that a food establishment needs to have procedures for employees to follow when responding to vomiting or diarrheal events. And we wanted to change that to that they need to have written procedures. Mm-hmm. And these procedures need to include cordoning off an area of no less than 25 foot in circular diameter, um, cleaning, initial cleaning of the gross visible contamination with water to minimize spread and take into account of the likelihood of aerosolization. Um, uh, using a subsequent disinfection with uh, either a thousand parts per million chlorine or another disinfectant registered as effective against norovirus by the EPA. Um, and then uh, segregating cleaning and sanitation equipment, um, using personal protective equipment, uh, and then monitoring cleanup employees for symptoms for 72 hours post event. Nice. And so, Very nice. Yeah. So so I don't know. I, who knows if it's going to fly? I think it's going to be a contentious issue because we're really starting to put on you know numbers, which uh, which changes things that that I think our industry folks might might not be happy with. Um, but, well, but that's why we do. That's why we we do CFP, right? Exactly. I'm, exactly. You know, so we have the debate and we have the discussion. So, in in some CFP news from me, um, I also um, was involved in a committee, co-chaired a committee with uh, your golf partner Tom Ford. Tom Ford. Yep. Tom Ford. Tom Ford. That's a Jay Z song. Okay, I think that you're thinking of uh, rap music. I am. I'm thinking of the rap. Of the rap. Um, and um, we did not upload anything, despite the fact that the deadline went past, because we had a lot of what they call in the business back and forth. Um, we so we so Tom and I co-chaired the Listeria Guidance Committee, and we did a we had a great group, and we did a really good job, and we updated a document that hadn't been updated in about ten years. Uh, Dale Grinstead, um, uh, who I think you know. Not a Jay Z song. Not a Jay Z song. Chaired a, a committee uh, that last cycle before this one that 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 worked on the document but didn't take it to completion uh, because they ran into some contentious issues. We we were able to do that, but then we had a bunch of edits from the council three chair and co chair. And then we had edit further edits higher up the chain to the point where um, it just became a huge mess and the committee felt upset and potentially disenfranchised. And and so it nothing got uploaded. Um, but I think the good news is, is that Tom is handling the uploading um, and uh, I think it's all in the works. But uh, yeah, so that deadline came and went. And 
And just to give you some idea of the level of editing, one at one point, someone went through it, the document and said, you should add two spaces after every period. Oh. And then someone later went through and said, you should only have one space after every period. And so if I had a time machine and I could go back and submit an issue to CFP, um, I think I would submit an issue that, that they need to have standard guidelines for how to edit guidelines documents and they should have a style sheet and et cetera, et cetera, because it just made me, you know, want to put my head through the monitor. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, it was, it was, it was frustrating to say the least. That sounds extremely frustrating. Um, hey, uh, food safety is messy, Don. Even mm. food safety lawmaking is messy, uh, or guideline making, not real, not laws, but it becomes laws. It, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, um, I, you and I have talked about this, uh, in previous podcasts, but this process of conference for food protection, uh, you know, is, um, can be mind numbing, but I did get all, like gushy when as I was writing actual text that I wanted to submit to change the food code that mm -hmm. maybe actually changes it. And mm -hmm. that from a from an impact standpoint of all the stuff that 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 we do. Like as I was working on this specific one um with Leanne, I was like, you know, if if we actually make it so the like hundreds of thousands of businesses that are regulated by um, state health departments and local health departments that adopt some version of the health code actually do something differently uh, for cleaning up vomit. And, you know, this is going to be a long-term process. You know, maybe this is three, five years, 10 years down the road, but that's like, it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, or at least it has the chance actually to be powerful. Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy, but it, but it's, you know, it, it, it has a chance. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm really proud of the work that the committee did to draft this document. I'm a little more than a little bit frustrated with the process and, and the fact that the process has become, in my opinion, overly bureaucratic, um, and, and, and really is in, and the bureaucratic part is in need of fixing, right? Because it shouldn't be as, as a, a subject matter expert, it should not be my job to decide whether, you use the Oxford comma or not, and how many spaces there are after a period. In fact, if 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 the if the association, if the conference is really serious about producing professional-looking guidelines documents, they ought to hire an editor yep. who would apply the style, right? Um, and and so this this whole late in the game process with everything crunching on a deadline, to me is just it just shouldn't it shouldn't happen, right? It shouldn't be allowed. But anyway, so 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 anyway, that has colored my my perspective. But I have to say again, and and the and the positive feedback and and you know from from all of the people who are on the committee who said you know I didn't think we'd get through it and we really did and and thanks for your leadership and you know and and really the entire group pitching in on the calls it's been, it's been fantastic. But again, there there have been. So some aspects of the whole process, you know, balancing the committee and making sure that oh, yeah. you had the, I mean, but here's the thing you want the committee to be balanced in terms of the, 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 the areas of, you know, you want industry and, and uh, government balance, but at the same time you want people to show up and actually do the work because you can, anybody can sit on a conference call and vote yes on stuff, but to actually wade into the discussion and say, okay, here's, I think what the contention is and here's how to fix it. I mean, there's lots of people that can bitch about how things are not good, but, but to have somebody actually engage in the process and make things better by thinking, I mean, to me, that's, you know, and we had a, a ton of people on the committee that all were so willing to do that, which is fantastic. Yeah. And you don't want to lose that in the process of the, 
in the mind-numbing bureaucracy yeah. part. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's so. Hey, um, I uh, I feel your I feel your pain. As, well, thanks. Uh, as uh, President Clinton so famously said, I don't know if he actually said it, but it was in uh, Saturday Night Live, so that's how I know about it. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's so. I but I I do I think I thank you thanked you before, but I do want to thank you again for urging me to get involved with this group because I've you know there aren't too many academic type folks that are that are part of this conference for food protection, but I I've, I've found it very valuable and like. Uh, um, a chance to, to actually uh, change something, which I like that with, you know, using the, the science that's out there. And, and in fact, some of the work. So the second issue that that I submitted had to do with changing um, how consumer advisories are communicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have so we have a paper that was submitted to Journal of Food Protection where we did a bunch of secret shopping and talked to um, servers and saw that what's on the menu is often contradicted during the discussion with a server. And mm-hmm. so we um, uh, submitted an issue that said um, it and I don't know if this will go or not. But that uh, consumer advisory should also be communicated verbally by someone who's trained in in uh, being able to communicate risks. Wow, that's that. You know, I think that I think that you have a you have a better. Ch- we'll see, right? We can we can offer odds on this, but I think you, your odds of getting the 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 uh, vomit cleanup are better. Yes, because that's a little bit more cut and dried. Like the here's what the science says are best practices. People should follow best practices. I think how you handle the nuances of of cuz it's it's really from a practical point of view it has to be the server right um and to ask the server to have that level of expertise i think is is unlikely let's say i agree and and i think what's what we what we found in this in this work was they are already acting as a risk communicator right and so so i you know i want to i don't know yeah i i think you're right i think the odds of us moving the first one is are probably much much higher but i wanted to i i I don't know i just felt like there was there's something broken in the way that we're that that this information is currently being communicated so Mm -hmm. let's let's throw out what the best case scenario is and if it gets you know destroyed then it gets destroyed but i but at least at least we were trying we're trying to to move it forward Right. And are, are, yeah. are you on a council this time? I'm a, I'm an alternate. I think you uh, and I are alternates. Alternates on three? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm an alternate on two. I don't know mm. where I am. I'm an alternate somewhere. Okay. I applied for one. I'm not. Uh, but are and, you, are you, you going to go? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I mean, you have to. If you get if you get appointed an alternate, you have to go. Otherwise, uh, I think that they, they don't, they don't want like to appoint you. Yeah. Well, then I, I look forward to hanging, to hanging out with you in, uh, in the Idaho. Absolutely. Now, when you submitted those issues, did you submit them to a particular council or no? So you don't okay. get that choice, right? Um, they they make the determination. They do. So there's what, from what I understand, uh, with the process, there is an issue committee chair, mm-hmm. who then uh, there's a committee that'll look at all the issues that are submitted and they'll pick the councils that it goes to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to the discussion around this um, and. That I'll, you know, we'll get to present at least three things if it makes it through. I, I don't know what the likelihood of it even making it to being presented. I don't know if they like shoot down any before it gets there. Um, but we'll, but we'll see. I'm, I don't know. It was, it's good. I, and I just wanted to, again, thank you for, um, you're urging me to get involved because I think too often we can do some of this work and we're really knowledgeable about it and then complain that, oh, the law sucks or the guidelines suck. And this process allows you to, 
actually try to impact them and and Absolutely. yeah put put a platform out there for you to you know even if it doesn't go through that at least others will you know maybe rally around this these ideas over the next two years and maybe we can come take another shot at it two years from now yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's good. I'm, I'm glad you're involved. We need more academics to get involved. But, you know, it's, as we talked about before on the podcast, I think it's difficult for academics to engage with CFP because it, it's it's in a little bit different way than they, I mean, they don't, they don't, you, you don't go to the conference to present, right? It's not a scientific conference. I mean, the topic is scientific, but it really is right. there to help, uh, to help write the code. And um, for to, uh, to have an academic who can see the value, who can find their own, and there's no support, right? There's no there's nope. no travel there's support. No, exactly. So to find a way to fund your trip uh, to a meeting that doesn't necessarily advance things academically, um, you know, again, it would have to be somebody like you or me who maybe has an interest in the science, but who also has an interest in policy and, and, and outreach and, and who works. Also, there's not as many academics, although maybe there's more now, but who are interested in uh, like food code type stuff. Traditionally, academics more are more food processing or oriented, food industry oriented rather than food service uh, or retail. Absolutely. And I, I'll tell you, I mean, I think it absolutely fits into what the state of North Carolina pays me to do. Like, oh, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I think, you know, I think that's why, why you're there as well. It's, yep. Yep. Absolutely. It is extension and outreach work at its, at its basic level of let's put a, you know, let's put some sort of an expert there to help us work through what the rules and laws will be that are going to impact all these, like, I mean, thousands of businesses in our state um, as it goes through. And it's, and, and I, you know, the way that I've looked at it is is very much um, there. There's no greater. Wow, it's it's it could be a great extension impact if you do change the guy, you know, the model code. Absolutely. Um, and that that has a chance to change practices. Um, so it's yeah, no, I've I'm I'm all in, and I, and our good friend Renee Boyer is going to join us. Oh, she's that's also, cool. Yeah, she's going to come uh, see what this uh, what this rodeo is all about. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, just, it's been a it's been a good week to to write write stuff down and uh, work on this, and, and it's always hard working on on deadlines. I, I get you know I, I just have a like mental block sometimes when it's like oh I have I have like two hours right now to work on this, and if I don't do it, then I'm gonna miss the deadline. But uh, but it all it all worked. It all fit. Uh, that's good. Um. Uh, so so Dom, we are um we are a full thirty seven minutes in. And we haven't really started the show. No, we have. This is what we oh, started we, okay. the show. Okay. But we haven't mentioned Chipotle. That's the that's what I wanted to <laughs> I actually wanted as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about today, I wanted to see whether we could do a whole podcast without Chipotle. But I have but but I had a question for you about it. So so I don't so like <laughs> this is the best part. It's like I'm the one who made us just talk about it. Although I wanted to see if we could not talk about it, and I had control over that. Well, and I I did put I did put a bunch of things in Dropbox. Um, put five things in the Dropbox to talk about, and three out of the five are Chipotle related. So, um, but yes, by all means, let's talk about Chipotle. Well, and one of them is is from the from the Dropbox list, I, I believe. And and it it is oh cool yeah it's something. It's it's a question that I want um, that that our friend Manan Sharma uh, sort of tackled or mm -hmm. raised on the Facebook, um, and you uh, weighed in uh, a little bit on on the conversation. Mm -hmm. And the question is, and it comes from 
I don't know, Deadspin or Vox, 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 I don't know how to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, is Chipotle the safest place to eat right now? And oh, yeah. No. No. No, they're not. It's, but I mean, I, I don't think so. I don't uh, think so either. I mean, I, I understand the like you know people talked about like well you know risks of flying after nine eleven oh, and you know yeah. that kind of stuff and it's like well that makes sense right because now everybody is hyper vigilant but 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 that assumes that we know where the risks come from and we know what to do about them and I'm not sure that Chipotle really understands yet what to do I mean they have a couple things they're going to try to do like they're going to have a uh, they're going to close for a day and have an all hands on deck meeting but but yeah no I don't I don't think because here's the thing it's it, we don't know here's the thing with 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 Chipotle six outbreaks in 6 months right two are norovirus related so for the norovirus related ones Okay, maybe they know what they need to do. They need to get their uh, worker, you know, employment thing straight. They need to get their sanitation straight. They need to get their policies on working while ill straight. That's fine. Um, salmonella and tomatoes. Okay, well, you can change your your chain and, and manage the way you manage tomatoes in your chain. That's fine. But for the three E. coli outbreaks, we still don't know what caused them. We still don't know the vehicle. So I'm not sure. It's like it's like after an airplane crash, like Kristen's been. Watching these airplane crash shows on TV, which I, <laughs> I just can't watch after a while. And yeah. she knows that she, she's going to have to go on an airplane soon. And she's like, I, I'm like, you should stop watching those. But but it's like it's like when you have an airplane crash and you don't know what caused the crash, you can't be safe because of that because you don't know what caused it, right? So again, that's that's the that's the analogy that I'm I'm sticking to here. Uh, we don't we don't know what caused three out of the six outbreaks, so I don't think that they can have a handle on it yet. I agreed. And and here's the the one thing. So. I, I went and after I mentioned the article, I went and found it. It's from Slate, one of the other uh, good online um, magazines, and it, it you know talks about the you know difference in production and and um, uh, quotes uh, Haley Oliver, someone who uh, one of our colleagues from Purdue, someone we know um, about different ways to manage that risk. One of the things that that I think um, people. It wasn't in this article, but I had questions about it um, in some of the media that I did was, what about all of the focus, the regulatory focus, the inspector focus? Would that change things? If if all of a sudden, you know, we're um, in the perfect world, things are really... um, uh, you know, uh, inspectors are, are, are objective with where they go. They're looking at the exact same set of guidelines um, everywhere. And but with heightened awareness as it relates to Chipotle, are they looking more at Chipotle processes? And maybe they are, maybe they're not. But but based on and going back to the fantastic paper from uh, our good friend of the show and listener Ruth Petran, um, just because we have extra inspectors looking at extra things doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to catch more outbreaks or make it safer. Like that heightened awareness, heightened focus, um, just having an inspector there isn't, that's not the, you know, the, it's not going to make the food that much safer, if any safer. It's about systems. And, and depending upon what you're measuring, the more you look, the more you find. So in fact, having a heightened uh, scrutiny may lead to more deep, not more outbreaks, but more detected outbreaks, right? Because, because, I mean, I think that's part of what Chipotle's problem was. 
you know, for the past six months is that they were under the microscope because they screwed up, right? And so maybe if they, if, if they, you know, if they hadn't, if one or more of those outbreaks had, had flown under the radar, they, you know, there might've been more that flew under the radar, right? We just don't know. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I'm, I'm in agreement with, with you. Is it the safest place to eat right now? No. What is the safest place, Don? <laughs> uh, safest place to eat. I don't know. My house is pretty safe. Yeah. But, you know, I've been known to leave leftovers in the fridge too long. Ah, well, so I don't know. I I think that um, a place that has only retorted products. Mm. Um, I don't know what what like somewhat boring restaurant that would be. Uh, but no, no fresh items. Only things that have had either gone through acidified or retort would be the safe and no, that, that no we, one handles. But we they, know, we know that the retorted food is not safe either because we just had a, a little while ago, we had a, an outbreak linked to uh, retorted food. So oh, even yeah. those are not safe. I'm not saying that it's, it's a hundred percent. I'm just, I'm doing the numbers. I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm being the math guy here. You mm-hmm. be the communication guy for a second. <laughs> I'll do the, okay. I'll be the math guy. Uh, number of, uh, Products uh, not handled by people uh, in a system that is regulated that has to have continuous monitoring for temperature control, and we've got you know millions of servings of it without without uh, illness. I think that's where that's where I go. That would okay. be safe. I don't know, but again, I think it would be a really uh, fairly boring meal. Maybe the military, maybe mm. based on the retort pouches that they eat. Could 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 be, and I would point out too that the title of the uh, Slate article is "So is it safe to eat at Chipotle again?" Following Betteridge's law, the answer would be no. No, no exactly. <laughs> no, it's not safe. In fact, it's not safe to eat anywhere because guess what? Food is not sterile, and you can get sick from it. Oh wait, I, we missed something. We, yes. we totally missed something, Don. Where is the safest place to eat? I, there's a really clear answer to this: the International Space Station. Oh yes. <laughs> Because of HACCP and NASA. Because, exactly. And because of all the – because it would be really bad if there were uh, yeah. astronauts with uh, with, with um, uh, concerning events. How did how did Ben Benjamin say again? Alarming? What were um, disturbing. Disturbing. Disturb- disturbing really, events, yeah, yes. It would be really bad with disturbing events in the International Space Station. Yes. There you go. But again on the numbers game, it's uh, <laughs> relatively few meals served there. This is true. This is true, but 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 highly visible in case there's a problem. Extremely so. visible. We would. Here's the thing: if there was an outbreak there, we would know. We yeah. We definitely would know. We would definitely know. It's their. Um, I would say that their inspection scores have been have been relatively good for a long time because it would be. Uh, we haven't seen anything that we that's concerning. Yes. Um, so, so while we're talking about Chipotle, um, uh, they're closing on April, uh, on April, <laughs> it might be April by the time this is posted, uh, they'll be closing on February 4th for a company-wide meeting on food safety. What, Ben? Um, so, uh, you know, this is, this, oh, so, so less. So, so, so basically they're going to be closing on February 8th. They're going to be closing their stores, quote, for a few hours, to talk about food safety, uh, they're calling it an all-hands-on-deck uh, food safety meeting. Um, what do you think about that strategy? Um, I think it's hard to change a food safety culture in a few hours. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and change values in, in a day. And, and I, like, I, I don't mean to be super trite. You know, I think that based on what they have talked about, They've been talking a bunch. They've got all these plans. Um, 
and you know showing the world and showing their employees that it's really important that we're going to close everything down. We're not going to make money for for eight hours to make sure everyone is calibrated. I think that's unrealistic. Um, I I think it might be a time for them to tell them food safety is really important to all of us, and we've lost a lot of money uh, in this process, and, and our brand is is suffering based on these six events that we've had. But but I, I'm more interested in whether they're gonna you know close their store again in a month or in two months or what they're going to do for um, ongoing um, communication and education and training and other food safety culture related things to make sure that they keep this value system going one day. Uh, I don't, it's not going to just going back to the um, headline from slate uh, January or uh, February 9th when the, when the same headline runs of, so is, is it safe to eat at Chipotle again? I would say that, no, it's the same as it was before. Mm -hmm. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, how are they, I mean, what about on that particular day, are they going to have all their employees for the company report to work? Right. Right. Are they going to pay all of them? What about the ones that aren't scheduled to work that day? And, and honestly, as as I I think I've shared before on the podcast, um, I've got uh, an undergraduate student who works in my lab who also works at Chipotle, and he's heard from high school students that work with him that they just don't care. They, yeah. He's he's told them, look, don't do that. That's a that's not a good food safety practice. I'm an undergraduate student getting a degree in food science. I work in a food safety laboratory. You shouldn't do that. And the response is, I don't care. So having a, a a day long meeting where you close your restaurants. How, how I, what I want to know is how does how what's your plan for reaching high school students who work in your restaurant who just don't care because clo- because because talking to them is probably not going to work. Right. Right. If, right. If for one day. Yeah. Or for six hours or whatever. And how are they going to get them there if they're in high school anyway? Right. Like they're going they're going to have school. I don't this know. Is true. I don't know the logistics of it. Um, yeah, that, so that part might be unfair. Maybe there's going to be three or four shifts of this, and they're going to do it at, in the morning, and then they're going to do one in the evening, and then one late at night. I don't know. But um, it, it is, you know, after the announcement was made, um, the shares uh, went up like eight, ten points in the in the magic share scale. So so investors think that this is a great idea, but as Doug has mentioned on Barf Blog, investors don't know a whole lot about food safety. They're easily convinced. And maybe yep. this is all a really good way of getting an extra 10 points on your on your shares. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't. I, yeah. I do, yeah. It's it's about public relations right now. Right. It's about optics. Yep. It's, it's not it's not about food safety. I mean, yeah. Yeah. What, I want to know what they're going to be doing more long term. And and what you know, it's. What they do, like, is there a magic way in eight hours to change behaviors? No, no, I can't imagine anything that you're going to say during that time that is going to long term change behaviors the way I mean, and you know more about this than I do. The way you change food safety culture is not by having a meeting, right? It's it's by having maybe lots of meetings and lots of best practices and following up and consistency and, and, and doing it over and over and over again until you change the culture. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the other thing about closing things for one day only you know out of those three outbreaks that we don't know the source of um one two of them the 026 ones 
and one that we do know the source of, Salmonella outbreak, had nothing to do with things that were happening in the store. The, to, right? Like, I mean, right. I, I think we can we can assume that the 026, based on the epidemiology of that, is is not related. If it is related to something that's going on in the store, it's it's secondary because the pathogen was introduced consistently in nine different states. So there's right. a supplier focus there. So what does closing right. the doors for a day do for suppliers? Right. Nothing. Right, because the people the people that are managing the supply chain, you don't probably want to have them in a, a meeting where you're talking to everybody in the store. They should be having meetings to figure out what's going wrong with their supply chain. Right? Exactly, exactly, and that's their day, that's their job day in and day out. They don't need the CEO to tell them it's important, right? They they know it's important because they've had outbreaks. Yeah. So yeah, doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up to me. And who's having? You know, we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast. But who is holding the eight-hour day-long meeting for the CEO and executives to say, "Here's why it's important that we invest in food safety," right? Like, like I, I am Ben. <laughs> I'm having that meeting, but they won't it. return my calls. <laughs> yeah, we're having you and I are having the meeting right I mean, now, right now, right, right. now. Where the no one, uh, let's do a roll call. Uh, who just joined? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a little inside joke. Hey, I don't, I don't know about uh, you, Ben, but I, I think Manon Sharma just joined because he just posted on Facebook on this same, uh, on the same uh, thing that we're talking about right now. Oh, awesome. Oh man. So I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, that, there, that's enough. That's enough Chipotle talk from for. Oh, are you sure? Are you oh, sure? you got you something don't... else? You got well, only, only that. Uh, according to Snopes, which uh, like Wikipedia is never wrong. Um, the uh, rumor that um, – uh, sorry, this is a great podcast. Um, uh, the rumor that Chipotle's 2015 outbreaks of foodborne illness were the work of pro-GMO oh. bioterrorists is unproven. It's unproven. We, we've got no data. That's a follow, little follow-up from last time. Right. Oh. So – and, you know, if it's good enough for Snopes, it's good enough for me. Yeah. Um, so it, let, me, let me tell you about something that I talked – that. I feel like sometimes I know you don't watch football, but that's the, that's that the one with the round ball. It is. It's the one with the oblong ball. I think you're thinking of rugby with an oboe. It's the one you play with an oboe. Um, I listened to another podcast, the sports podcast by this guy, Bill Simmons, who, who I really like, who makes the one from kiss, right? Yes. That (laughs) you were thinking of the one with the tongue. Yes. Um, the, he talks about football commentators, and mm. one one football commentator uh, named Phil Sims says things over and over again during a football game. Of we talked about this, we talked about this, and and I find myself now doing that with you. So we talked about this. We talked about this, right, John? <clears throat> we talked about this. Um, we talked about this. Anyway, we did. We did talk. I talked uh, with another colleague, uh, Matt Cosey, who's a professor here at NC State, who um, is in the animal science, uh, poultry science. I can't remember which department. I think it's. I think it's poultry science. Um, and he teaches an undergraduate course on um, agro security and intentional. Uh, hmm. Contamination is really cool stuff. So mm-hmm. he, he and I, we had coffee last week because he wants wants me to come um, give a guest lecture in his class, and we talked about he and I talked about um, uh, Chipotle as, as the focus, sort of this case study of um, how the system works and how you identify outbreaks and how you you know what how, what kind of systems are in place. And so I'm going to use this as an example uh, in like four weeks. Um, but what 
what our conversation sort of drifted to that made me think the Snopes thing made me think of it is um, foodborne illness. I know we've had one case all time of intentional contamination uh, in Oregon, the salmonella salad bar thing that, that everyone in the food safety world knows about. We'll link about in show notes. Won't go into the details here. But foodborne illness from an intentional contamination standpoint, like, isn't really, a, I don't know, a, probably the most... Um, effective means of terrorism right like you gotta get the right pathogen and you've gotta have a lot of people sick <coughs> excuse me and and if you were like if if i was gonna add and this isn't the uh podcast where we tell people how to do terrorist attacks but if i was to do it, <laughs> is, it is that that's a different podcast that's uh food terrorism attacks Maybe food terror yeah so but if i was to do it wouldn't you use like like bot toxin like not norovirus or not, you know, E. coli O two six. Well, it's it's funny. The title of the Snopes article is cilantro ricin, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, if you, if you were really going to make somebody, well, but see, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. What's what's the purpose? Is the purpose right? You know, yeah. If, if the purpose is terrorism, yeah, you could you could pick way more effective uh, agents than than uh, than E. coli. And and all you would need to do is is put like bot toxin in like two or three chipotle like you know to make it look like it's more than one place and then all of chipotle comes under under question similar to what we've seen here except this is a funny way to do it where you pick um like four or five different um agents over a six-month period of time and then have people like reporting to work ill and whatever like it's just not it's not the most effective way to terrorize a company no, no, it, it's a, it's a way to disrupt them certainly, but uh, you know they can also do that just on their own by being you know not good at what they do. <laughs> so that, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I used uh, I, I did an interview this week about norovirus with uh, with someone from um, North Carolina Health News, um, which is which is a cool publication and uh, the. Um, person who runs it, her name's Rose Hoban. She's, she, we, she comes and watches our talks and then does follow up. So anyway, she saw one of my students talk about norovirus cleanup in schools. And she, as she was writing like the article, she said, so is it a pretty good bet right now that I could say that someone in North Carolina has norovirus? Like, like if, you know, I don't know anything, we don't have any epidemiology, but right now there's someone in our state that has norovirus. Um, and I said, oh, and then she said, or is it also a good bet for me to say that there's probably an outbreak of norovirus in our state because it's not reportable and we don't always know about it when it's going on? So that's pretty good. It's much better odds of guessing that than it would be at winning the Powerball. Yes, I, 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 I've got I've got the article. We'll link to it in show notes. Yes, exactly. Well, that's exactly right. So so anyway, I just I saw this little ad for Powerball, um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I used I used that as an analogy in a quote this week. Oh. Um. Okay, so I bought a Powerball ticket, Don. Did you? Yeah, did no. you win? No, did not win. Huh. We'd still do the podcast if I won. It would be a yeah? totally would different you? podcast. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it would be – I don't know what I would do. I would just talk about the things I'm buying you. Which, oh. Which, by the way, um, I found a, um, a birthday present for you, which we'll come back to in a second. But um, – <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but but uh, actually, two two things uh, that I've mentioned uh, on the on the Twitter, but we'll come we'll come back. Um, but but I've never in my life, other than uh, the last three drawings, uh, purchased spent any money purchasing a lottery ticket. 
I I got I, I got swept up in the mathematical hype. Yeah, you know, I thought about going to buy a ticket because it was all over everywhere and the hype, and and but then I realized that I didn't really know how to do it, and it, it's always it buying you know like I I live near a racetrack, uh, harness oh, racing like, racetrack. Oh, that I know how to do. And that, and I don't. I would love to go in there and watch the horses run around the track and and maybe even put some money, but it's like. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't know how, I don't know what to do. I've never been in that situation. It's probably complicated. There's probably a window you have to stand at or something you have to buy. And I figured I would, if I tried to buy a Powerball ticket, I would, I mean, I maybe, what if I didn't buy the right kind and can you even get them in New Jersey? And, and it just, it just ended up being a lot of work. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, my odds of winning are only slightly less if I don't buy a ticket. So (laughs) Yeah. I didn't buy a ticket. I saw some some link on on Twitter about um, I was going to buy a Powerball ticket, but I forgot, um, and my odds of winning are you know I, I just considered that I won myself a dollar. Like, yes. Like, yeah. Um, so so let me let me tell you how I got away around that issue because I also don't know how to buy a lottery ticket. Um, I I gave somebody fifteen dollars oh, and then they said bought. go buy me a ticket. Yeah, yeah, and then we all bought tickets together. Um, That's the way. And, you know, and I have, I have, um, um, lost, uh, uh, lotteries before because one of the things that my, let's see, he would be my, my wife's brother-in-law, the person who's married to my wife's sister, yeah. um, uh, will every year for Christmas buy us all lottery tickets. Like uh, scratch which, tickets so, yeah. Like scratch that? tickets. And so, and then we scratch them off and nobody ever wins. And it's just like, okay, yeah, well, whatever. Um, you know, yeah. so I, I have lost the lottery before, uh, <laughs> But, but not never actually bought a ticket. Uh, well, that is um, yeah. So I, I've also I think I've I've purchased scratch lottery tickets before. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's funny that we I've also my parents also buy them for us at Christmas. Hmm. So we're often scratching lottery tickets. Huh. Um, but yeah. So anyway, not a Powerball winner. Uh, that one that happened in the news this week. Um, don't know anybody who won, uh, but but purchased my first uh, lottery ticket and then made a made a funny joke about it in a norovirus article. Nice. So, hey, I want to talk to you. I don't know if you've seen this thing. This was something that was in the New York Times um, on Sunday on farmers markets and foodborne illness. Yes, I would like to talk about this. Okay, so so what I will do, I will I will set this up. I do have some some thoughts on this as well. Um, And again, we will link to this in show notes. And this is this is uh, an article by um, Mark F. Belmary, who yeah. is an economist, and um, he basically he so he writes um, that more and more Americans have been patronizing local farmers markets. Um, number of farmers markets throughout the country have increased fivefold uh, from '94 to 2014. Um, consumers are frequenting these markets because they believe that the foods they purchase there are healthier and safer. And again, we've sort of seen <clears throat> sort of is a nice tie to, to Chipotle. Chipotle does like to source locally um, for probably the same reasons. They think it's healthier and safe and safer. Um, and, and again, this uh, um, uh, person goes on to write, no one really knows whether what is sold at farmer's markets is less likely to make you sick. Uh, there are limited data. Um, but, uh, they, but again, as an economist, what they like to do is they like to look for correlations. And so this, this uh, reporter then, or this uh, uh, academic then goes on to, to write uh, more about their analysis. Um, so have you, have you 
had a chance to read this article and or the white paper that uh, many of the comments are, are based on? I have. Uh, yeah, I read the, I've read the article. I have uh, seen the unpublished working paper uh, that from last summer. I saw it last summer and, and I don't think we blogged on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the with the stuff. Did you look at the paper? I did. I scanned it. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I, <clears throat> on the one hand, um, so, so there's some things to like about this and there's some things to not like about it. So first of all, they have an unpublished working paper, which on the one hand, we've criticized people for, you know, press release before publication. But we also have to realize that this guy is an economist and this is the way that economists work, right? They, they get an idea, they, they put together a working paper or a white paper, they put it out there on the internet for people to look at and then they get feedback on that and they take that information and they work with that. And that it's, it's a literal working paper, right? It's like, it's like putting a rough draft out on the internet for people to look at. And this is the way that economists work. So on the one hand... <clears throat> It's publication before press release before or 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 you know New York Times uh, editorial before publication. But on the other hand, this is the way that they they work. Um, and then the other thing too is that he does very he very clearly says my co-authors and I are applied economists, not farmers, not food scientists, not epidemiologists. It's important to emphasize that our findings are correlations, and that correlation does not necessarily imply causation. So so the, it is. On the one hand, this person does appear to be doing things that we've critiqued before. On the other hand, he is working within the 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 dogma or within the the best practices in his field, and he very clearly is calling out um, the limitations of the work. So so I mean I, I don't I, you know it's interesting. Uh, I think the working paper is interesting. I'm not quite sure how you get to write uh, an article for the New York Times Sunday Review on something like this. I would like to know what the process is for doing that because I would sure like to write one. Let's just, um, I think we should just do it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It uh, is. Do, thoughts on the working paper? So there, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things, um, in here. So they, they, um, let me just jump in here to the, to the methods. So they, they use the CDC databases, uh, two CDC databases, the food database, which is the foodborne illness, uh, outbreak database, as well as the top 10 foodborne illnesses, um, but they do it in a like a point of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believe it's 2013 is the data that they use here, if I remember it correctly. Um, sorry, um, sorry, 2004, 2006, and then 2008 to 2011 um, in the total number of foodborne illness outbreaks and cases of report of uh, seven most common illnesses. So they use that that data, and then they go back and look at farmers markets uh, from from 2013. And I think that the one of the limitations they do talk about this in the or um, Belmere talks about it in the um, in in the Sunday um, in the op ed piece mm-hmm. is that there are varying degrees of reportability and how effective states are at reporting information to CDC in those databases. And I would mm-hmm. say that especially in that time frame, that's all changed drastically. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, so, so it's almost like there's a lot of evolving numbers that may tell a different story. If you were to run this exact same, um, comparison, like today, like with mm-hmm. 2015, 2014, 2015 numbers. Um, the other, the other thing that, that I think is really sort of, um, interesting is this, this aspect of Noro that, you know, we, we, we know that, um, Noro is, is really common. Um, they have Noro listed as cases of foodborne illnesses. Uh, and, and the Noro number that they have is actually case of, it, it's from the, you know, the papers that look at foodborne pathogens, not foodborne illnesses, right? So Noro, we, we still don't know how much of that is person to person. And so it's really hard to like, include any of that any of the noro related illnesses in analysis like this to me because it, it may it may not be food related at all and mm-hmm. and it but but i mean interesting that there are correlations absolutely um and they're really explicit in the in the text that you mentioned you know it doesn't mean that it's causation no it's just these two things are seem to be um, linked to each other either directly or through some other variables out there. Right, right. And if you look, I mean, one thing that that I, I always, you know, like to look at the the figures. And if you look at the, they have a, a number of figures in the paper where basically on the uh, x-axis, it's the number of farmers markets per million people uh, in the state. And then on the y-axis, it's the, uh, essentially it's like the, 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 uh, rate, essentially what is an outbreak rate. Um, right. and then you look, and of course, if, if it's goes from lower left to upper right, then you got correlation and they have some, um, they have, uh, a semi-parametric regression and, and it's, uh, 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 spline with seven knots. Yeah. Which what is, is it? A kind of, I, I don't know. Do you know it's, what that is? Yeah. It's just a way of curve fitting. It's it, it, but again, what I would look at is look at the cloud of points, look and see if there's any sort of a trend that makes sense to your eye. And yeah, with, um, uh, all foodborne illnesses, there's not much of a trend to my eye with Campylobacter. There's a bit of a trend. Um, and let's, what do they have? They have, uh, all reported outbreaks with Campylobacter and then another one that's all reported cases with Campylobacter. Again, it's not, hmm, I, I, yeah, I gotta have to parse this a little bit more carefully than I can do on the podcast. But basically, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, so the the, the relationship, the correlations are there. Yeah. But, you know, is it is it really enough to say that there's a relationship? I don't know. Uh, w- one other thing that I, I did just quickly getting ready to, to talk about this with you is went into Google Scholar and did a, a Google search on Google Scholar search on farmers markets and microbiology, and you can see that you know even you know, the the top hit is an article from the Canadian Journal of Microbiology from 1992 saying uh, talking about uh, occurrence of thermotolerant Campylobacter in fresh vegetables at farmers outdoor markets and supermarkets. And so even back to 1992, people were were looking at this and, and a fairly high number of samples actually. Um, so I mean, obviously there is some microbiology data there. Um, it would be Better. And of course, we talked about before, um, I think on a recent 
podcast. Yeah, Kathy Kathy Cutter's work on um, microbiological comparison of poultry products at farmers markets, and you know there has there has been uh, there was an outbreak um, uh, again. Also, I think uh, from a Canadian journal uh, from 2005 on a 0157H7 outbreak with unpasteurized cheese. Um, uh, there's another article from Food Control from 2004 on cheese quality at farmers markets, and so obviously. People have been, you know, looking at this from the microbiological perspective, um, and it certainly is an interesting issue. And I think it's one that's not going to go away as people continue to want to shop at these these places. Um, um, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, and and it's yeah. Uh, so uh, Renee Boyer and I are working on a, a review paper right now of food safety mm. at, at farmers markets, oh, looking cool. at yeah, sort of pulling that all together. Because I mean, it is it, like somewhat surprising that, that that hasn't that review hasn't been written yet like here's the microbiology that we know from epi here's the microbiology that we know from um you know research studies that look at specific products and then um here's what we know about the practices and, and so so that's what you know kind of what we're where we're where we're going with it this working paper provides some interesting stuff that overlays that but there are other factors that I that I think if you so so if we measured things that weren't farmers market related, like urban centers or number of people living in urban centers versus number of people living in rural centers per outbreak reported in foodborne illness, I wonder if we would see the exact same trends for norovirus. You know, like maybe the fact that a lot of people live in urban centers and urban mm. trends have have increased the number of farmers markets that we've had impacts the number of farmers markets per million people. Well, and based on what we know about norovirus transmission, I would expect that anytime you have a greater concentration of people, you're going to have greater norovirus rates, right? Right. Right. Look at the cruise ship as the ultimate example of that, where you take a bunch of people, you cram them onto a tiny boat, and then you make one person sick with norovirus, and you watch how fast it spreads. Um, or norovirus on college campuses, for example. So anytime you have, or in prisons, for that matter, right? Anytime you have a, a tightly, you know, cluster group of people, you're going to have more. Uh, infectious disease just because of the, you know, the decay rate of the organism and, and how close people are in proximity to one another, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. And, and you know, farmers markets, in you know, at least in our state, are not about um, rural markets. You know, rural, rural individuals, and I'll, you know, I'll go as anecdotally as possible without being, you know, offensive on, on this one. Um, but you know, farmers markets are, are about taking food to people in rural centers or sorry, in urban centers. Mm -hmm. It's not about, uh, market stands. So the rise of those, that, that hasn't increased from, from what we can gather in the data in our state. What's where we've seen the biggest growth is like here in the city of Raleigh or in Wake County, we've got like 17 or 19 farmers markets, depending on how you count them that didn't exist six years ago. And if we go to a rural county that's 30 miles away from here, um, we haven't seen an increase in farmers markets. The farmers market that it, that occurred at the town square, the city at the uh, county seat, has existed for 60 years. There hasn't been a growth. It's the growth of these are in urban areas. So, to me, maybe it's about you know, it's about urban centers, not about um, farmers markets. That's a it's a you know, it's another, it's another variable that this is a surrogate for. Hmm. 
I don't even yeah. know. Well, and, and, and the, and, and here's the thing, there's, those are newer. I wonder too, those are, those, those, the growth is obviously newer farmer's markets. And is there, is there something that happens to a farmer's market over time where they, they kind of get their act together and they, you know, or is there is something inherently risky about new farmer's markets where maybe the, the practices aren't refined or the, the, the lower, more marginal quality growers that are more likely to be risky are more likely to be at one of these new farmers markets where there's more growth. I, I don't know. It's a, it's just too complicated. But uh, anyway, it's, it's I'm 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 really delighted to hear that you're uh, working with Renee on a review article on this because it, it is it is probably time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so we've been yeah, we should have it ready to to go shortly. We've got a one of her former students is uh, has been working on the the manuscript and and we're we're she and I are working together in farmers markets over the last couple of years a lot. The, so coming back to the white paper. Um, scroll through to page 51 of this thing. Um, and I didn't catch this in my cursory look at it the first time, but the mm-hmm. last table, table A10, has mm-hmm. to do with perfringens. Mm-hmm. Why? So we've got this, you know, we, we have significance on, um, you know, dependent variables, all reported cases of perfringens per million, farmers market per million matters, and then farmers that accept SNAP per million. Those are the only two significance here. Mm-hmm. Like why? Why even look at perfringens in this case? Because I would say that the foods that are associated with perfringens are not foods that are largely sold at farmers markets. Well, because they're an, they're economists and they're mining <laughs> data, Ben, um, and they also need to learn that perfringens is not capitalized, and the organism, genus, and species names are usually italicized. But well, that's just me being an obnoxious microbiologist. Well, you're an editor too. <laughs> um, so let me let me go to a comment. Why I'm looking at that and what made me think of it is um, I posted uh, a picture um, a couple of days ago on the blog uh, about something that I saw at a on a hand dryer, an air dryer, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite uh, favorite pictures uh, in a while. And in fact, I've taken a picture of this very exact um, uh, hand dryer at a different time. Like, I think it was maybe three years ago. Uh, anyway, it reads, hand dryer, using these energy-efficient hand dryers re- reduces paper towel consumption. And then underneath that, someone wrote in, but puts S-H-I-star-T bacteria on your hands. Right. Puts the poop bacteria on your hands. Right. Um, and then I write about something that I've used before, blah, blah, blah. Don't like air dryers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, someone's right. And I wrote that I didn't write that on there because I can't – my handwriting is not that nice. But um, I so I put that up there and then I get a comment from somebody. Um, and it's you know, it's it's public on the blog for someone named Mark Ashwin, who I don't mm-hmm. know, who says, mm-hmm. but don't use recycled paper toweling. It can be contaminated with Bacillus cereus. So, Don, first of all, I didn't know that. Secondly, I really don't care about putting Bacillus serious on my hands. Yep. Because exactly. it doesn't, I'm not going to transfer Bacillus serious uh, to people. And this, uh, here you go, Bacillus serious. I'm going to see if I can find a little bit of science. Um, yeah. Well, so first of all, shame on uh, this Mark person for not giving a citation uh, to an abstract in the in in his comments. Okay. And then also, yeah, you're right. I mean, we probably again, we're one of the things I'm working on uh, was working on today was an abstract which we are planning on submitting for IAFP on uh, fresh produce and and work that we've done with indicators um, collected at uh, university dining halls over the last uh, 12 years or so. And one of the pathogens we test for that shows up a lot 
lot in fresh produce is Bacillus cereus. And sometimes it shows up even at relatively high levels. But guess what? The levels of Bacillus cereus that you need to cause illness are in the millions, right? And so I doubt there's going to be millions in recycled paper toweling. And, and again, yeah, I, I'm going to trust, I'm going to personally trust uh, the recycled, recycled paper toweling much more than, uh, than I'm going to trust uh, air dryers. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just, so here's the, uh, uh, I just, uh, texted you mm-hmm. the, um, the paper, uh, something from the American journal of, uh, infection control, March, 2012, uh, evaluation of bacterial contaminants found on unused paper towels and possible post-contamination after handwashing a pilot study, uh, from, uh, some, uh, French looking names. Um, so I won't, uh, uh suggest, Oh, it's Canadian. Um, yeah. so, so I think I know that person. Yeah. Uh, the left winger for the Montreal Canadiens. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, that's, that's horrible. Um, anyway, uh, between 10 to the two and 10 to the five CFUs per gram of unused paper towels were isolated. Uh, and that was total plate count. Mm-hmm. Um, Clostridium made up 0.01% of that. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I don't, I mean, yes. So, it, but it comes down to my favorite thing that I've stolen from you that applies to everything math related and risk related. Mm-hmm. Is what's the denominator? Right. Right. It's, that it, it is like, if, the, if we were going to make some more food safety talk t-shirts, I think what's the denominator is what would go on the back. Nice. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it really, the, the, it boils down to that in, in all this. Is there, is there a chance that it's there? Yeah. But what's the likelihood that it's going to cause illnesses and really poop bacteria being sprayed on my hands to me is more, more important in my, I, my risk I, I think so. Cool. I think so. And, and again, we, we have um, some, pay, some, uh, some research, which might eventually get published someday showing that you actually do uh, if you have contaminated, if you if you have contaminated your hands with gram-negative bacteria, um, and that and you use a paper towel to wipe off your hands, you are actually um, having a net benefit from the physical action of the paper towels. And guess what? The bacteria end up on the paper towels. And so, yes, there may be transfer. Uh, of bacteria to your hands, but there's also transfer from your hands, and and the, where the poop bacteria are going to be, probably to start with, is going to be on your uh, on your hands, and so uh, yeah, I mean it's all, you know, it's all relative, but but I, again, in the grand scheme of things, I am more worried about um, uh, getting poop bacteria off my hands than getting paper bacteria on my hands. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, also, there's someone on. Oh, I don't know. Maybe let me go. You go ahead and talk about something. I've got a, I have something that I just thought about that someone was ranting on Twitter about, but I can't remember the specifics. Okay. Well, I, I want to talk about food dehydrators because this is also something um, that actually we learned about from, uh, from Twitter. So somebody had, and again, this is a nice uh, tie into um, um, the uh, person I anonymized earlier on in the, the, uh, the, the podcast, um, a podcasting friend of ours who's very interested in, in food dehydration. Um, and uh, it's, it is from uh, Instructables website. Uh, and it says, uh, I wanted to make some jerky. Dehydrators run uh, 150 euros up over here. So I guess they're somewhere up over in Europe. And I didn't want to tie the oven up for two days, so I decided to make one. They are pretty simple. Just a box with a rack, a fan, and a heating element. And so basically uh, what you do is you, you get a computer fan. 
You have a light, uh, like a looks like a like an incandescent light. You have some coat hangers, um, and uh, you basically wire this thing up. We will link to the article, um, and uh, you know it's it's interesting. Uh, it is especially interesting uh, when you look at it and you realize that there are um, basically uh, no thermometers or uh, relative humidity um, meters. And um, this is not really jerky. It says, uh, I don't, I'm not seeing the, uh, the comments. <laughs> it's jerky-like. Yeah, it's jerky-like. It's actually something called biltong, uh, which is a specific uh, kind of, uh, of beef jerky product. And uh, although it has, uh, it has, uh, it's acidified, um, but basically this looked like super risky to me. So um, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any comments? Would you eat beef jerky made from a food dehydrator like this one, Ben? No, no, I, I wouldn't, Don. And uh, you know, this gets back to our um, uh, flam dinjinin uh, uh, conversation again. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just want to make up new names for the images. Sure. Um, that... That, you know, I'd have a tough time eating eating jerky that that wasn't heat treated at some point to 165, um, you know, or, or that doesn't have some sort of validated recipe associated with it. I think that a, um, as I can sort of see here, uh, a uh, chamber that has used a light bulb uh, and a fan is not a good way to dehydrate things. <laughs> Are you sure? It's an easy bake oven dehydrator. <laughs> Did we? I think we talked about uh, when when we went to see Alton Brown and he made a giant easy bake oven. Yeah. On stage with uh, that actually cooked a pizza, but but that's that's different. That's it, it not is, the kind of easy bake oven we're talking about here. It's different, it, right? Like because it's a different food and different risks, right? Yeah. Like it's different. Yes. It's different for because we're we're trying to control different things. You know what? This is something that. Um, that in the, in my time that I've been uh, working, putting on workshops with um, uh, environmental health specialists mm-hmm. is one of the most valuable parts of, the, of that for me is having discussions with them outside of the food code on the reasons why certain things are in the food code and, and how um, certain temperatures and certain time temperature combinations are – and certain rules or not rules, guide, guidances, whatever is in the model code, however – we have the the term there are based on different foods and different you know different you know hazards and different risks, uh, and it's not at all sort of cut and dry. So it's like um, easy bake oven versus using an easy bake oven. You know, easy bake oven to make cake versus using an easy bake oven to dehydrate meat is two different things to me. Yeah, and here's here's the comment that, that from the author that I was looking for. Bulb is 60 watts, don't know the temp. Technically, it's biltong rather than jerky, so salt and vinegar marinade, relatively cool and lots of air. So yeah, I'm, I get calls on a regular basis from people who want to make biltong here in New Jersey or the tri-state area, and basically I tell them to call somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because apparently it's safe, but uh, but again, validated recipe. Thank you, validated. Need temperature, and and again, I would go one further instead of saying, uh, yes, you made your beef jerky. It was cooked to one sixty. What I want to know is what was the relative humidity at the time it reached one sixty. Because if the relative humidity was low, I still don't want to eat that. Right? I want to I want to know that the relative humidity was high, uh, virtually one hundred percent when you reached one sixty, and uh, after that, um, then I'll I'll eat it. Yeah. So that's just me. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah, that uh, that's the kind of stuff that I would want to know before I would uh, be, to make me make a better decision. 
But hey, thanks to thanks to our friends on the internet who send us tweets about uh, dehydrators because that's how we learn stuff. Oh, it's so true. Um, okay, so here's here's what I found. What I was thinking about. What I found, and it has to do with Bacillus cereus. Mm. And so it's it's for some from someone who who we have uh, interacted with uh, on the internet before, not in a super positive way. So I'm not going to go ahead and, and drop the name of the individual, but I will talk about a couple of tweets that this individual had from a few days ago. Um, that, uh, and I'll, is this person Canadian, uh, no, no, this person is not, oh, not that I know of. Okay. This is a different individual. Okay. I'm going to uh, screenshot and send you this. Um, so you know who I'm talking about. We're, I'm, we're, we're so, I'm, we are so catty. Oh, we are. We, this, it, Don, as, as Doug has said before, if people don't like what we do, then they should create their own podcast. <laughs> In yes. Different way. Don't like what I write on Barf Blog? Write your own bar blog. That's um, right. So, uh, or send or say snarky things in the comments say, and yeah, hope they get posted. Yeah, and they will because that, that at least gives us some excitement. Okay. Oh, I remember this dude. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, this this dude um, is uh, has a background in, in food science and, and talks a little bit on food safety every once in a while, but talked about something at a restaurant that he saw, and so. Um, he tweeted at the restaurant, said, an employee turned away from taking my order and put his hands in a tub of raw wings, chicken wings, that were sitting out. That employee then put 10 wings in a fry basket, lowered it into the fryer with his, quote, clean hand, and then washed the raw hand. Before the guy took my order, he was rolling up a floor mat. Does he realize he contaminated raw wings with Bacillus cereus? I didn't respond because I just – this is on Friday night and I was watching Homeland and I saw this across the Twitter feed. But it has to do with the same conversation we had about paper towels. Like, Don, do you care that your raw chicken wings are – which are going to like really, in this case, immediately be dropped into a fry basket and lowered into a fryer at 400 degrees Fahrenheit? Do you care if there's Bacillus serious on them? Nope. Because uh, probably the Bacillus cereus that's already there is still going to survive. What I really care about more is after those wings come out of the fryer, how are they going to be held? Yes. Because because um, Bacillus cereus will grow in food products like that. And actually, this is a nice, uh, interesting segue. So one of the as I mentioned, we have. Uh, I was working on an abstract for IAFP based on the data that we collect uh, for Rutgers University Dining. Uh, one of the things that I did last week was to give my annual presentation, annual State of the uh, State of the Union, uh, to the Rutgers Dining Hall managers and talk about what where I think the risks are. And one of the things that we see a lot of is we see Bacillus cereus, and I'm especially concerned about foods that where we see a lot of Bacillus cereus, essentially right at our upper detection limit because we don't do a lot of dilutions um, with Bacillus cereus, um, but we do see foods that are at, you know, at our upper limit, right, um, uh, TMTC, right, um, uh, in foods that are uh, hot foods that are being held hot, that are not being held hot enough. And I do worry about that. So I, I would worry about Bacillus cereus in those wings, um, but only after they came out of the fryer. And the way that you manage that is either you make sure that you move those wings through your system pretty quickly and people eat them quickly or you keep them hot, right? right but right. no, I am, I'm not – I mean it's a little gross that the guy's touching a floor mat and then touching the wings. I'm a little, I'm a little grossed out by that, but I'm not worried about it from a food safety perspective. Right, right. And I'm, I'm much more worried about it from a physical hazard standpoint. 
right? Yeah, like, I would much more worry about staples or splinters yeah. or or something else coming off that Stones. floor mat for sure. Stones, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That, like that's it. So so I guess this is another like an example of like yeah, that's that's not the best practice, but it's not the best practice for what you think it is. Like what this individual is tweeting about. It's like I would not have picked Bacillus serious. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm worried about Bacillus serious, but not in that scenario, right? There's, right, there's, there's right. plenty of times when we need to worry about Bacillus serious, but it's not coming from floor mats. No, um, yep. that, this piece is like to make this conversation bigger about things that you and I also work on this exact, you know, string of this happened, this happened, this happened, I, I've identified a hazard, someone needs to take care of it, is why I think it's going to be really hard for small businesses to manage their food safety plans, their preventive control food safety plans as part of FISMA. Because even if we train somebody who's got a background in the world of food science, they're not picking the right hazard. Yes. <laughs> right? Ah, I'm frustrated, Don. I can sense that, Ben. I don't know why. So well, we, food science is hard. Food science is hard, and it's and that and that's okay. And uh, we we just have to make sure we show our work. Yep, yep. And and honestly, um, not to be all elite about it, but if you're doing food safety at the corporate level, you probably ought to have a PhD. Yeah, but because, but let's mm-hmm. uh, agreed. But let's look at you know mom and pops. Um, you know. Uh, uh, fermented kimchi stop that they're going to sell their stuff. They make over $25,000 a year. They're going to have to do a food safety plan. I, I don't, I don't think it's practical to think that they're going to have a PhD in nope. this stuff. Nope. So, so they better be working with their local extension person or, or they better have some safe Harbor guidelines from the mom and pop, uh, Korean kimchi, um, trade association. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah I think that's um, uh, and find some best practices, you know, that, that they can band together with all of their other mom and pop operations to make sure they're doing the right thing. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's food safety is hard and it's complicated. Food safety is hard. It's complicated. Um, show your work. What's the denominator? <laughs> all those are our catchphrases. Yes. Um, have you watched? Have you you wa- know what I want? I want Carl Winter to do a song. Um, uh, what's the f- What's the denominator, Ben? Um, to the tune of "What's the Frequency, Kenneth?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we laugh too much at each other, but that is some funny stuff, Don. I like it. Um, <laughs> I, and what- for those that don't know what we're talking about, we will we will link to the uh, wonderful REM video. Uh, What's the frequency, Kenneth? And you know the history of that song, right? Like, I do, yeah, I do. Really interesting. That yeah. So Dan Rather got mugged in Central Park, I think it was, and the guy who mugged him kept asking him, "What's the frequency, Kenneth?" Yeah, some 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 rather disturbed individual. So yeah, yep. yeah. and they wrote a song about it. They did, and it's a great song. It's a great it's, song. Uh, in fact, my favorite REM album. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I like you. You were, you were in the, you were, you were in Athens, right? During the oh, REM. I'm so day. sad. Yeah, I was there. I had a chance to go see him at the 40 Watt Club. I didn't go. One of my great regrets. Well, they, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I like their early stuff. I, I really started to get into them after Automatic for the People. But I remember in the fall, I think it was November 1994. 
when uh, Monster came out uh, because it was released on the same day as my favorite Tragically Hip album, Day for Night, I believe, in Canada. And uh, it was just like so raw. It was, it was like the rock and roll REM that I never even knew that existed. Just love it. Love that album. Yeah. And that and that album was released in response to the death of Kurt Cobain, right? They were That's working correct. on it at the time, right? And so a lot of that that angsty sound is is their uh, reaction to to Kurt's death. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it which is my yeah. So, oh, sorry, September twenty sixth, nineteen ninety four. Mm. Uh, I do remember it as fall nineteen ninety four though. Uh, and yeah, it was uh, good. It, great, just great album. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, speaking of Kurt Cobain, have you seen montage of heck? No. Do you know about this? Okay. This no. is homework for both of us. Okay. Um, I've, I've heard on a couple of podcasts. It's a, um, it's a documentary that was, um, produced by, well, directed and put together by, uh, Francis Bean Cobain, uh, Kurt and Courtney's daughter. Hmm. Uh, and it's a, a, a whole bunch of, um, home movies of Kurt and Courtney and sort of tells the story about just a, a real, like, I think, um, destructive And again, I haven't seen it, but the reviews I've read about it, a very destructive relationship and sort of this uh, unhealthy environment, um, that, uh, you know, is kind of a scary situation. Um, but, a, but apparently a, a riveting documentary, hmm. uh, it was uh, it's an HBO, I think montage hmm. of heck. Yeah, we, we'll link to the Wikipedia article in show notes. Um, speaking of uh, rocker documentaries that uh, also would be somewhat topical, um, have you seen uh, the documentary Lemmy? No. I didn't so, even know there was a Lemmy documentary. Oh, it's the it's the best, Ben. I had it's been it had been on my list of things to watch for quite some time. And then, of course, uh, Lemmy uh, Kilmeister uh, Kilmeister recently passed away, and that was my opportunity to to watch it. And so, yeah, highly highly recommended. Even if you are not a metalhead or a speed metalhead, um, just here Lemmy was was the uh, uh, the a dude who just really. Um, you know, he, he lived, he lived life on his terms. And so whether you, whether you appreciate his music or not, he, it's just, it's just a great, a great documentary about a, a really cool guy. So, um, where, where did you, uh, where did you view that? Did you, it is, um, I actually have a, a copy that, um, fell off a truck, but, yeah, okay, but, okay. uh, it, it, it is actually, uh, on, on, uh, YouTube. I think there, at least there was a, uh, a free, you can watch it on, on YouTube. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to check that out. I, uh. That's my. That's right up my right up my alley, um, of the of the rocky of the rockumentaries. Yeah, and if you have trouble, you know, I I like I said, oh, I got I, a copy that fell off a truck. So. I can find. I, yeah, I, I know those. I, those those trucks drive in my neighborhood too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we got yeah, good. Okay, well, we did this. Um, we did a little music stuff at the end. So um, yeah. So Jack is mix it up. Happy about that. <laughs> yeah, Jack's already stopped listening. Yeah, he didn't even make it this far. Um. Cool. So I will. Uh, yeah. So so I think. Do you have, do you have anything else? You got anything? I'm else good. I'm good. I'm good too. Um. Thanks. Thanks for making time to to spend to. Thanks for spending time with me and making time for me, Don. Absolutely. That's my I'm, that's my new uh, catchphrase. Spending time to make time. But yeah. Spend time. You gotta have. Hey. Gotta have time to make time. Gotta. Gotta make spend spend time to make time. I don't know. <laughs> spend a penny. Leave a penny. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Grab, a, yeah. Take, uh, take. Th uh, you know they don't even use pennies in Canada anymore. 
God, I don't use pennies anymore either. I know. I, it makes me so angry. Yeah, I only, every time I get change from something, if I'm using cash, I leave it as a tip. I, oh, leave, I, I try to just not have any coins in my pocket yeah, at all. I, I don't even take them. Yeah, I, I leave additional money as tip, right? So so say I go somewhere and I'm paying by cash and it's I'm buying a beer and it's it's four dollars and fifty cents, and they give me you know I I have a ten dollars and I get fifty cents and a bunch of singles. I leave them the fifty cents plus another dollar. It's exactly, kind of, it's the kind of person I am. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of person who hates change, <laughs> <laughs> and and likes to reward uh, servers who don't make a lot of money. You know, the only people that like change, Ben. You know what they are? They're wet babies. I I don't know <laughs> what that means. Oh, I, I get it. I get it now. I thought that was. I thought we were in a totally different podcast there. Um, yeah, those those wet babies like to get changed. I got it. Got it. Ah, um, <laughs> oh, on that note, I think we should probably end it here. I think you're right. Uh, Don, thanks again. Uh, this has been Food Safety Talk Podcast. Um, not uh, Does Your Dog Poop Outside Podcast or What's the Denominator Kenneth Podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Bye. Bye. fun it's a it was a fun at home podcast today it was it was i am totally checking out lemmy i didn't even know oh it's so good it's so good i mean like i said i just and i i don't i mean it's not my cup of tea that music but man he is just a dude who just took no prisoners man he just was he just lived life on his terms and it's just it's very inspiring oh uh, awesome i know some motorhead just from being being in the the world of you know 1990s heavy metal mm-hmm. like, i got some friends who were into it but i really know ace of spades oh yes yes and that's the one song that sort of appeals to me just because yeah. it's such a com- uh, you know, such a common one in the, and then you do get to i think hear it in the documentary and i've heard, heard it you know certainly heard uh, john and um merlin sing it <laughs> on roderick on the line but yeah good stuff that's where i first learned of the documentary i think oh cool it um, I know it from uh, Tony Hawk, uh, Pro Skater one or two. One of the one of my former really fun uh, uh, video games that I used to play a lot when I was in university with mm. my with my roommate Owen Owen Gottschalk. Mm. O- Owen, um, uh, fun fun story about Owen uh, was a straight edge uh, hardcore guy to, mm. and a vegan um, mm. until he tried ice cream one summer that he lived with me. <laughs> 
And then he was no longer a vegan. Oh, ice cream. It undoes the best of vegans. It does. And then and then he started eating cheese. And that was mm, it. That was slippery slope. Yep. Ice cream, cheese, and uh yeah. Owen and I used to go to uh ska shows and uh um, and and death metal shows on Sunday nights when we were residence assistants and just to get out of the get out of the dorm and I saw uh, so he I mean he, he wasn't a big Motorhead fan but um, but he uh, we saw a band maybe the best band that I've ever seen live a, a band called the Helicopters and they are I don't know if they're even still around but they were a Swedish death metal band mm-hmm. and they were amazing and they're in this like club called the Trashateria which is a great name for, for a bar. Uh, and uh, there was maybe like 20 people there. And these guys broke all their guitars. They broke a ceiling fan. Like mm. they were, it was amazing. And then we walked home and saw them at Subway. Of course. <laughs> where, where all the great uh, Swedish death metals go yeah. to eat after the show. The helicopters. Um. Cool. Hey. Good. Good job today. That was fun. Yeah. My my only my only uh, de- death metal uh, or Norwegian or or uh, Scandinavian death metal um, uh, story is that that was what Merlin was listening to when he came to Rutgers and he was still trying to write his book and he was jamming trying to get his talk ready. We sat in the uh, Cook Student Center and uh, he put on uh, Nor- I think it was Norwegian death metal and uh, you know uh, type that worked on his talk or worked on his book. I think worked on his book. So anyway, nice, interesting times. Absolutely, I had no, I had no idea that that's what he was listening to. Yep. Yep. Um. Uh, uh, do you? Okay, I have a, a question for you that's um, music related. Mm-hmm. Did you ever listen to MC Five? Like, do you know about them? They're old, old. Like, I mean, older than you. Really? Not old. the, not the, not the DC Five. No, not the, not the Dick DC Clark Five. five. Not the right? Dick Clark Five. No, this is okay. I'll, let me send you the the Wikipedia page here. Huh. Um, they are a band that I only know about from, I went through what this. City Five? I did, I, you know, I do, I think I know of them. So they, I think I know somebody that liked them. Is that right? Me, yeah. They sing a song, Kick Out the Jams, which was mm-hmm. covered by Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. But I went, maybe, uh, I don't know what the, oh, okay. So, um, uh, Lester Bangs, do you know? You oh, know yeah. Okay. So Lester Bangs, this, uh, rock critic who died in the eighties, um, there's a two anthologies of his um, reviews of music, and I was it was after Almost Famous came out that because he's a character in Almost Famous that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays, um, and I didn't know who he was, and I checked out on the internet. And I was like, oh, this guy was actually real, and he seemed like he wrote these things. So I read a couple of his articles online about these books, um, and then he reviewed MC5, and I got really into like garage, like late 60s early 70s garage rock and mc5 was one of them so you know that like that kind of style really like crunchy um almost like um uh what crazy horse sounds like like it's Mm -hmm. just like really loose strings and it's really messy but i love the sound of it anyway Mm -hmm. mc5 is one of them it's a band that i've Mm. listened to but i've never like they're like we've talked about with the foo fighters or somewhere else it's like they're a band that every time i hear their songs like oh yeah i like them but i never like i've never gone to the stage of i'm obsessed with them and Mm -hmm. mc5 so anyway i just want to know if you'd yeah no i know of them but have not listened to them i might I might have heard, uh, I might have um, listened to Kick Out the Jams. I don't think I have any of them, but yeah, and you mentioned Lester Bangs, and then of course, whenever 
I hear anyone mention Lester Bangs, I immediately think birthday party, birthday party cheesecake, jelly bean, boom. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> to kind of bring it back to REM because uh, Lester Bangs uh, is is invoked in uh, a uh, along with Le- Leonid Brezhnev and Lenny Bruce yes. in the uh, the excellent REM song, uh, "The End of the World as We Know It." So, so so true. Didn't even think. Look at that. Full circle to, to more REM. Oh, good. I um. I am so it's political season right now, and I it's the best reality show that I can watch on TV. <laughs> watch all the debates. We're like we're, Danny and I are so into it. I can't tell you, and it's it's great. Yeah, and that's because you can go back to Canada. We, yeah, we I, I got I got I got to stay here. It's it's just it's just silly. Anyway, um, you and I it's don't depressing, talk, but anyway, well, that, there's that. Um, you we don't we don't. This isn't uh, politics, food safety talk, but. But in like a perfect world, I just I just love Bernie. I mm-hmm. love I feel the burn. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that he 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 cannot possibly win. But there are times like this where I think that it would have been fantastic to be a contemporary of Hunter S. Thompson during these types of elections. Because I've I've read all I mean I've read everything that Hunter wrote. I, I was not alive for the seventy two or seventy six elections, but he has two fantastic books on those mm-hmm. those elections. Um, and I just wish that that the set early to mid seventies Hunter could talk about this election. Yes, because yeah. it it, like his his take on on Trump would be, I think, would be amazing. I'm done. You uh, should feel some guilt. Just want to let you know. Ugh, I feel so much guilt, Ben. You would not believe the guilt I feel. I don't understand why I can't get more work done. I try. I have intentions. I write stuff down. But then I have overcommitted and I don't get stuff done. I understand. And I, feel, I feel bad. I'm, I'm with you. I feel I, bad. Uh, all of those things are true in my life as well. And, yeah, and 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 you have like little kids that you have to look after. Like oh, I, I don't even have that. I have a dog. I have a twenty-seven year old son that that takes a little bit of attention. But geez, it's not uh, it's not like uh, it's not like having two young kids. I'm I'm uh, I just you know I'm just I don't know what it is, Ben. I'm just old, and I don't want to work hard. I'm, hey, I'm with you. I'm I'm young, and I don't want to work hard. And I, um, <laughs> we get along so well. Yeah, that's why we're the perfect match. Uh, and, and I, I'll, all I want to do is, uh, is skate. I like to, I like to feel the, the, um, the cold air in the, in, in my locks. Uh huh. <laughs> not in my, not, not, not my, not my salmon, but I, that's all I want to do. And, but, uh, but when I'm not skating, cause I can't skate all the time, I like to talk to you. And, yeah. And I'm not very good at, uh, also, uh, editing show notes and doing the audio. So. I have no, and, and in fact, the best part about you not being done is that I don't have to start. I know, I know. That's the best part. I know the feeling when the shoes on the other foot, as they say. It's, it's so good. Uh, okay, well, go go do go do your your editing or whatever. Um, I'm going to. I got to go take a, a child to go skate for real. Yeah, that sounds like fun. It's I, gonna be awesome. I look for post pictures on Facebook. I will. I, I, love, I love to uh, see you post pictures with you and your kids skating. It's the best. It's all. It's that's. Uh, it, it, it's going to get old for everybody because it's pretty much all we do. But I I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Okay. So I think we're good. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.